Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and as usual, I'm going to talk to you about the Kingdom of God. And the Kingdom of God is at hand. It's within your reach. But you're not reaching for it. You imagine you already are saved, that you already know what the Kingdom of God is, what it looks like, and that you read the Bible, so you're informed. But the truth is, the lie is pervasive. The lie is unrelenting. The lie is in your mind. And you need to be freed from the lie. In order to be free, you must be able to receive the truth. And, you know, I I heard, and I've mentioned it on other broadcasts, that, uh, you know, Trey Gowdy, who's actually kind of a straight shooter in uh, politics, which is rare, uh, was asking his, uh, when he was in charge of, uh, uh, I guess, district attorney office, he asked all the employees what did they want, truth or freedom. And every one of them answered they wanted freedom. And when I relate that story, I often go, wrong answer. That's the wrong answer. You can't have freedom without truth. It's the truth that will set you free. In order to receive the truth, you have to admit that what you have now ain't so. You know, I quoted Descartes who said, uh, I think, therefore I am. But uh, Augustine said, I err, therefore I am. (laughs) Uh, You think you know... Or how about Mark Twain, who didn't invent this saying, but he said uh, it's not so much what you uh, know that gets you into... Well, actually, it's what you think you know that just ain't so. It's what you absolutely think you know is true that just ain't so is what actually gets you into trouble. And people don't understand what the kingdom of God was. And all they have to do to see what the kingdom of God is, is admit that they don't see it now and, and read the Bible. I mean, you literally could just read the Bible and you would figure it out because it's right in there. But I know people who read the Bible every year and they don't have it figured out. Because what they think they know is getting in the way of them knowing anything different. And so they read the Bible for confirmation. Of what they already think is true. And what they already think is true. Is just ain't so. It's just not true. The kingdom of heaven is for the living. It's at hand. It's within your reach. But you have to reach for it. You have to seek it. And you have to seek it. With diligence. And and love. And the character of Christ. Who came not to be served, not to be saved, but to save others. If you're not gathering together in your church to save others, to serve others, you're not coming in the name of Christ. You can say Jesus all you want. You can say Yeshua all you want. You can say Yahweh. You can say Yadavahe. You can say any kind of magical word you think is going to save you. But it ain't. Because that ain't what makes it happen. That doesn't make it so. 
So what are you supposed to be doing and how are you supposed to be doing it? How is the kingdom of heaven sought? And what should you be doing that you aren't doing? You know, last night I I was up till after midnight trying to finish an article on the staff of life. And, uh, and I was up early this morning working on it again because when I got it all what I thought was pretty well finished last night, I saved it and it didn't save. It disappeared. <laughs> Everything that I had been working on for several hours last night disappeared. It's very disheartening. It just all disappeared. Well, the reality is we have a huge website, uh, org. We have preparingyou.com for people who you know, think they know what church is and so they don't want to have anything to do with anything that we say because we mention the word church. And, you know, I can't actually fault people because your pastors are brutes. Uh, that's what the Bible says. Your pastors have become brutes. Uh, brutish, actually, is the word. I just put a web page up on what that really means. It's dull. It means they're dull. They don't get it. They don't understand the kingdom of God. They don't understand the gospel. They've got some sort of understanding of something in their head, but it isn't the gospel of Christ. And you know that that's true because they're not doing anything that the early church did. And we have to assume that the apostles who were trained by Jesus Christ, approved by Jesus Christ, and set out to do the work that he assigned them, that they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. But the modern church isn't doing that. that not Hardly even in a token fashion. They've completely gone away from that. Somebody was talking to me recently about a pastor that their church board hired in their local 501c3 church. I, I actually am familiar with that church. Uh, and I'm familiar with their... Um, bylaws and even their uh, their doctrinal statement. It's a fairly big church as churches go and they have a uniform doctrinal statement. And when I was trying to put together, everybody wanted a doctrine for His Holy Church as if I could invent a doctrine for His Holy Church. Well, doctrine is, means teachings. Well, we already have the teachings of Jesus Christ. They're in the Bible. It's the red letters. That's what he was teaching. If he didn't say it, it isn't the teachings of his church. Because it ha- he has to have taught it for it to be the teachings of his church. Now, I may have all kinds of opinions, but those are my opinions. The official doctrine of his holy church is the words of Christ. What he taught. And you would be shocked and surprised to find out how much of what Jesus said to do that people are not doing yet say they are following Christ. You cannot you cannot have it both ways. You're either doing what he said, or you're not, and the modern church is not doing what he said. And they're certainly not doing what the first century church was doing. But this pastor, they, they had certain complaints about him. Uh, he wasn't a young pastor, but, he, but uh, he, he was brought in because somebody else retired, and they hired him. And he spends all week Preparing for a sermon on the weekend. And so, therefore, he was complaining that, uh, according to 
the rules, the people are supposed to provide him with housing. So he thinks that means they have to mow his lawn, weed the garden, plant flowers, do all that stuff too. They're supposed to do all that because he doesn't have time because he has to spend an entire week preparing for his sermon. And these people are paying this guy. Why? Because they want a sermon that tickles their ears. He gives a good sermon. You know, we all go away feeling good. He's part of your strong delusion that you're actually seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He is a brutish pastor. Because he doesn't understand the kingdom of God. Uh, there are churches, you know, one of the things in the doctrine of this particular church, which I read because I was looking at lots of different churches' doctrine to see how they're written. And I was shocked to find out that the doctrines of most churches barely mention the actual teachings of Jesus Christ. They make vague references to them, but they don't actually quote Jesus. In order to be the actual doctrines of a church established by Christ, it should be nothing but the words of Christ. No private interpretation of those words, just those words, as clearly and as concisely translated as you can get. You could even put it down in original Greek and Aramaic if you wanted, and then then give an assumed translation. But it has to be the teachings of Jesus Christ, not your opinion about the teachings of Jesus Christ. Because then it's your church. It's not his church. What Jesus said was to love one another. Take care of one another. Feed my sheep. And what you see them doing immediately upon getting the baptism of Jesus Christ is being kicked out of the social welfare system of a government that had... Uh, you know, rulers, arche in the Greek, who exercise authority and provided social welfare. Because that's how they get power, is by providing social welfare. Free bread, you know, and entertainment. They give you free bread and then they, they're your daddy. They're your sugar daddy. They, they're the ones that take care of you and therefore they're the ones that have the right to rule over you because you're eating at their table. And you eat at their table, so therefore you're under their authority. These are the benefactors that Christ talks about, who or, or men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority. They force the contributions of the people to take care of the social welfare. The early church was cast out of that system by just just by getting the baptism of Jesus Christ, at least in Judea. But that was okay because... They were setting up their own daily ministration to take care of the widows and orphans and needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity. Someone, someone nearby just was put in a convalescent home, uh, care home. They call it care homes now. Uh, $9,000 a month. $9,000 a month. That's what it's going to cost. I was just talking to somebody who's uh, uh, into real estate. And uh, they're selling a house they've sold a couple times, and it's kind of a two-story house. It's got a, got a half, you know, a basement that is, you know, one half is in the side of the hill, and the other side opens up. And they rent the basement out to somebody who needs 24-hour care. I mean, they, they're somewhat ambulatory, but they have to have meals prepared, and they have to have help getting to the restroom, and 
things like that. They're not completely bedridden. And uh, they get paid $10,000 a month for providing this in their home. Well, $10,000 a month, that's that's pretty, you know, that's $120,000 a year. You're taking care of one person in your home. Wow. Amazing. I thought that's just fantastic. I mean, that's a living right there that people are doing. That. Of course, now where are they getting the money? They're getting it from the government. And where is the government getting the money? They're getting it from your neighbor. Well, see, the early church didn't do it that way. The early church actually just took care of the needy of their society. Now, they expected the family to take care of most of these needs. And that was often a burden on the family. And the community helped one another out, helped out the family, take care of the needy in their community when it was necessary. But because they loved one another and didn't want to be a burden to one another, they actually took care of one another uh, in very efficient ways. Uh, the government is a mercenary thing. It wants money. And it wants money left over. And it wants money for pensions. And it wants money. So, they, of course, and they have two options. Either be very thrifty or take more money from you. Or, or actually, they can also borrow money from the future, which is really just taking from you and your children and your grandchildren. Well, they've kind of gone for the third option. They just borrow the money. And so, yeah, they they can come up with no better way of taking care of you than spending $10,000 a month to take care of one person. You know, that's almost half of what a prison sentence would cost. <laughs> you know, what it was in prisons it cost $50,000 a year or more to take care of you in prison. So if you if you robbed $600 from somebody and you got sent to jail, it would cost your neighbor and the person that you robbed and everybody who you hadn't robbed yet, it would cost them fifty to $60,000 a year, which is, you know, quite a bit of money, for two, three years while you spend your time in jail. And they call that paying the debt to society. It's just crazy. It's insane. Uh, but it's what you've chosen because you've chosen to be concerned about yourself, which is why you have this brutish pastor who tickles your ears because you just want to feel good. You don't actually want to be good. You don't want to do righteousness. You just want to feel right. You want to feel righteous. You don't actually want to be righteous. And so you're doomed. You're doomed in a universe that is divided into two realms. One is a realm in which Christ could dwell because he comes to serve, to give life. Or you could be in the other realm that is all about control and taking life and force, etc. And most of you have chosen to be in the the realm that is about force and control and and all that. And that's why you have the nations you have. And so you're now about to venture into another election in which you're going to elect somebody who can exercise control and force. And it doesn't really matter who you elect. They're still over there on the side of the equation about forcing your neighbor to comply with what you think they ought to be doing. 
which is the antithesis of Christ. And that's the path you've chosen. Now, most of the people will continue in that path until it's too late. And there's nothing you can do about that. That's just, that's just in prophecy and it's going to happen. What you can do something about is you can change your mind, your thinking, your way of doing things and start seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Stop assuming that you're already saved because you thought a thought. You saved yourself by thinking. You know what that is? That's the tree of knowledge stuff. Tree of knowledge is what you think is true. Yeah, I recently said something on one of our broadcasts and this is what I was writing about in an article called Staff of Life that's not quite finished yet, but um, somebody thought I said the grain silos are empty in a program. And uh, and that we're out of grain. And, you know, we're all going to starve to death. And, that's, and he tells me where I supposedly said this. I went there and I listened. That's not what I said at all. He heard something else other than and his brain just filled in what he thought I said. And uh, when, but he had the recording because I went back and I listened to the recording and that's not what I said. I said that we used to have years supplies, years and years and years supply of grain in silos, you know, in storage um, in this country. It's was called strategic grain reserves. And when I, that back in 66, I think it was, when I was working on wheat farms in North Dakota, um, we had uh, years and years and years of supply of grain. I mean, I don't know how many silos altogether that were completely full of grain and sealed and stamped. And uh, yet we were still harvesting grain and piling it on the ground. And prices were pretty safe because... People didn't have to sell their grain. They were able to store it because of certain economic incentives that the government allowed. The fact is that people should be creating those incentives right now. Everybody in America should be doing it. And, you know, the article goes through the actual statistics of how the strategic grain supply, where we used to have as much as seven years at one at the high point, of grain stored up like Egypt did because there was a famine coming. That's all gone. I mean, our surplus now to get us through to the next year is a fraction of what we consume every year. Uh, as a matter of fact, where where some of the strategic grain uh, was finally put, and I go through all the dates and show you when this all took place, was put into a tri a private public trust, and uh, that's even been depleted to not exist. And now they have to uh, they've monetized the reserve into cash, which actually is credit because it's not really cash, which is another thing. I mean, there's so many layers to our deception that we we haven't got a clue. What's I mean, we are on a freight train. That's not just headed down the track uh, to destruction. It's already gone over the trestle. It just hasn't hit the bottom of the ravine yet. 
Now, I could go through and show you how you live in a vulnerable world that is on the brink of absolute starvation, uh, riots, martial law, depravity of every kind. I mean, you can go back in history just since the days of Christ and I can show you weather changes that took place, some because of volcanic eruptions, some because the sun actually goes through uh, periods of uh, uh, you know uh, low activity. And this alters the weather patterns in, in the world. And, you know, in, in 540, I think it was, around 550, in the 1300s, in uh, the 1700s, starvation occurred around the globe. China, Europe, people were eating each other at times. Some of these were that severe, were cannibalism. I mean, there was simply no crops of any kind, hardly, that grew. You might get asparagus and a few things that come up really quick. But most of the crops that are essential to sustain life failed because of weather changes that naturally occur on a regular basis on this planet. And old men and men who study history know this is inevitable. So if you had a government of love, that was established by loving one another, which is what the church is supposed to do, loving one another, everybody would be storing up grain. Why grain? Because grain stores well and stores cheaply. And it can keep you alive. And you can even feed it to animals. And you can it's a renewable resource. It can be planted when the weather returns. Some of these weather changes lasted for decades. Sometimes the severe... Weather changes only lasted for like five to ten years, but that would mean that you would have to have at least five years supply of grain to get you through this period because your potato crops are going to fail. Your, you know, a lot of your crops, corn crops would fail and, and therefore you would have to, and you would also have to know how, how should I plant? How much should I plant? Because I may not get any crop this year at all. What kind of grain would I plant? What you know, winter wheat is planted at a different time than spring wheat. You don't know anything about that. Now, you could find yourself in a world of hurt. The whole nation, the whole world, could find themselves in a world of hurt, where there simply is not enough food to go around for anybody. And that's a natural event that takes place on a regular basis. There's a lot of things that could take place that are unnatural. But the fact is you did not create a government of love. You created a government of force. You did exactly contrary to what John the Baptist said, what Jesus Christ said. But you go to your church and your brutish pastor who hasn't got a clue what's going on in the world today, thinks he does, keeps you asleep. And you pay him to do it. You're crazy. Let's get sane. Let's talk about solutions when we come back to the keys of the kingdom.
welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, uh, what's the answer? What, what's the solution? Uh, you know, they, they talk about uh, if an EMP or even a CME were to knock out the power grid in a place like the United States, which is heavily dependent upon the flow of oil and power for the generation of farm crops as well as the preservation of those crops and uh, the transportation of those crops to the cities where all the people are. And if you were to interrupt that flow of power, that uh, 90% of American people would be dead within the first calendar year. 90% would be dead. Now, the 10% that's left, <laughs> they may not be in very good shape either. You would literally be back at the Stone Age uh, in, in, in a matter of a very short period of time. And people who want to think, oh, well, I'll go live off the land or I'll, I'll get a cabin in the woods and I'll stock it up with all kinds of food and, and all this stuff. They have no idea what's going, going to happen as far as marauding bands, uh, the loss of, uh, I can guarantee you, just during the Depression alone, which we had, what, 120 million people in America total, during the Depression alone in rural areas, deer population disappeared flat out disappeared because it doesn't take very many people and and you're you've decimated your natural food supply and most people don't even know what is natural food out there anyway uh and that solution of saving yourself is diametrically opposed to the kingdom of god and the, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ did not come to teach you how to save yourself. He didn't come to save himself. If you're going to come in his name, you have to come together in a way that intends to save others. In order to do that, you have to know who the others are that need saving. And you have to have skills and, and knowledge of how to do it. So, what you do? You go to church. But the church established by Jesus Christ, which was a network of people who actually started caring about one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. They established their own daily ministration. We see it taking place in Acts that took care of all the social welfare for Christians. And Christians were persecuted and prosecuted in courts. We have the parts of the transcripts in those trials because of the fact that they did not depend upon the social welfare system set up by the public religion of Rome. Social security, welfare, public education are the result of public religion. It's how you perform your duty to God and your fellow man. You need to help educate your fellow man. You need to help provide for your fellow man. You need to help provide for the needy of your society. And that's an obligation that's imposed upon us by the natural laws of God. Except you do it by force. And then you go to church to have a pastor make you feel good about it. That check you get from the government didn't come from the government. It came from your neighbor. And as long as you want that check, you're coveting your neighbor's goods. 
Now, does that mean you can't have that check? You can't use that check? You now have to find another way? Well, you have to be seeking another way. Because through that process of seeking another way, there is a renewing of your mind. Because, see, right now, your mind is following Satan, the adversaries of Christ. You're doing everything opposite of what Jesus said to do. You're not living by faith, hope, and charity. You're living by force, fear, and governments that exercise authority one over the other. You just go to church to feel good. You just go to church so that you will feel righteous. And so you pick a church and you talk about how that church is good. Now, a number of years ago, some people began to find out that 501c3 church meant that the church was under the authority or the overseership of the IRS. And you had this classification they call 501c3, which is not really a classification. It's just a statute that says charitable organizations need to apply to become recognized as charitable organizations. And that application is established by filling out a 1023. And when you fill it out and you're approved, you are can, you are established by a letter of establishment from the IRS that you are a charitable organization. Churches do not need to apply. They are automatically, and I'm quoting the IRS, automatically considered 501c3. They're not 501c3. They're considered 501c3. They're treated as 501c3 even if they do not apply. That's what they say. We wrote Body of Christ versus Body of State. You can see it on Preparing You. You can see it at HisHolyChurch.org.net. It's been around for years and years. They say you become strictly regulated when you do that. So we have a huge movement that came up. The unregistered church movement. Peter Kershaw, who I know and everything, was advocating this along with a lot of other guys. That you want your church unregistered. Problem is, it's still your church. It's not the church established by Jesus Christ. How does your church become the church established by Jesus Christ? You have to conform to what Jesus Christ said to do. And you're not doing that. And because of that, millions upon millions upon millions of people are going to die horrible deaths. (laughs) And and, uh, there's not a thing I can do about it. Other than preach. I, I don't have a staff where I can come up and hit you and exercise authority over you. I don't want to do it anyway, even if I had one of those. Now, the governments of the world have it. They can force you and they can force your children and your grandchildren. They can curse you with debt uh, to provide for the needy of your society. But by the very natures of the governments that you have created, which is an expression of your own bestial nature, That government is not operating by love. And the leaders you pick are not going to be operating by love. They're going to be operating by force. Because they, you have given them power. And power corrupted. You've corrupted your government. Why? Because you've been slothful in the ways of Christ. You haven't been coming together, creating a network based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. You haven't been establishing a daily ministration that takes care of one another 
out of love for one another. So if I tell you bad things are going to happen and you start preparing and, you know, buying gold and buying grain and buying freeze-dried food and storing it with your buddies up in the mountains so that you will have your private little getaway, you've already lost. You're dead. You're as good as dead. It's guaranteed you will fail. And when you discover you fail, you'll say, Oh my gosh, I should have listened to what Brother Gregory was saying. But I did not have ears to hear. Because I cared about myself. Now, some people are doing that to care about their family. And that's a good start. But you have to care about your neighbor as much as you care about your own family. Your neighbor's children have to be as important to you as your own children. And I'm not talking about just your buddy. I'm talking about your neighbor. Are you willing to do that? Is that where your heart is at? If it's not, you need to see that your heart is not ready for the truth. You can't handle the truth. You know, one of the things in helping people, healing people, is that you have to look inside your own temple. See your own selfishness. See your own foolishness. You have to know the truth about yourself. People aren't ready to know the truth about themselves. That's why it's so easy to look around and say, Oh, look, it's those Democrats. Oh, look, it's those Iranians. It's those Muslims. It's all these bad people out there. You know, maybe it's Protestants. Maybe it's Catholics. Maybe it's atheists. Maybe it's gays. It's somebody else that's got all these problems. It's easy to look at other people's problems. So are you ready to look at your own? Well, that's what I'm talking about. This fact that you've created a selfish society that is based on force. And forcing your neighbor to provide for your education. Forcing your neighbor to provide for your parents' social security. Forcing your neighbor to provide for your daily bread. You don't pray to God for your daily bread. You pray to the gods of the world for your daily bread. And so, what do you expect? You know, those gods will answer your prayers, but you'll be the bread. They'll grind your bones to make their bread. They've become a giant in the land. And you've created them. You know, I was, I was uh, in writing the article, I, I made a brief reference to uh, Polybius. And uh, Polybius was the guy who said, The masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by way of rule, of force, and violence. The people having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others and depend on their livelihood, on the property of others, institute the rule of violence and now uniting their forces massacre banish and plunder until they degenerate again into perfect savages and find once more 
a master and a monarch. Until that changes, in that's America. The appetite for benefits, free education, take care of my parents so I have to do no more for my parents with a system of social security which is nothing more than Corbin which Jesus talks about and tells you that the Corbin of the Pharisees making the word of God to none effect. Historically, we know what Corbin was. It was a sacrifice to the people. We know that Herod began to force the sacrifice to the people, compelling a tax to take care of the needy of their uh, society through force. But John the Baptist came and said, No, you need to do it through sharing. In in your church, how do you do it? How do you take care of the needy in your church? I don't mean after the government has taken care of them. I mean, if they have a need, do you take care of them in your church? Or do you build a big building and uh, provide a nice house for a pastor who spends the entire week writing a sermon and little else. Because he's got to come up with a good sermon that's going to make you feel good. He's going to have to get a good band. He's going to have to have music. He's going to have to make you feel like you're saved. That's his job, you know. His job is not to tell you the truth, that you have degenerated into perfect savages, taking a bite out of one another until you've been devoured in a sea of debt which they talk about on the news every night. The debt ceiling. We have to raise the debt ceiling. You're submerged in debt. Your children are born in debt. Fifty, sixty, hundred thousand dollars in debt. And it's only going to get worse. The government tells you that. The GOA tells you it's only going to get worse. And nobody's doing anything about it. Because you're already saved. Because you believe in Jesus. But you don't believe in what he said. You don't believe in doing the word of God. You just believe in imagining that you're saved. You know, in in the New Testament, I think it's in the New Testament that you see the word brute. Uh, You know, I I think I can pull that up. Let's take a look here. Uh, Actually, no, I've closed that. (laughs) So I don't have that. Uh, but uh, you can actually look it up at preparing you. But uh, And I go down every place that the word brutish or brute is used in the Bible. And, and some of the words that they use and they translate into brutish or brute, uh, they translate into other words as well. But your pastors are brutes. So it doesn't really matter whether they're 501c3. I, I know of many non-501c3 churches. And, and some of the pastors are not halfway bad guys. I mean, they are diligent, hard-working. They, you know, they, they, you know, like they fight about abortion and, you know, and try to save the world from abortion. And the fact is, there's going to be abortion. I'm not, I'm not interested in outlawing abortion. I would be, I would love to see them stop forcing the average citizen who doesn't believe in abortion and to pay for the abortion of those who want to kill their children. I can't stop all murders. But I certainly don't want to be financing the murder of children. But again, when you, you see our videos on abortion, abortion 
is a symptom of the problem that we have already rejected God. The fact that you have a commander-in-chief and a president or a prime minister in whatever country you're in, that's evident that, that you've already rejected God. The fact that they can draft your sons and daughters to their purposes is evidence that you've already rejected God. These, are, these things that we see coming down the pike are symptoms of the problem that you've already rejected God in the ways of truth and the ways of righteousness. And you haven't been seeking it. You've been seeking self-righteousness. You've been seeking to, you know, I, I go to this church because it makes me feel good. That People tell me that all the time. Because I really like the music there. And you want to believe that you're saved and that Jesus loves you. But the fact is that if Jesus was here right now, most of you out there, he would say, Get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity. You're not following Christ. You're following your own imagination. Created with the help of your brutish pastors. But then again, that's why you pay them such big bucks. You look at the guys who are making the big bucks as pastors. I can tell you this, the truth does not pay a good wage. (laughs) Telling the truth that you've strayed from the ways of Christ. You're not following Christ. You're following foolishness. Brutish foolishness. You've become fit savages. You know, Polybius, that quote of Polybius, I mean, that just tells you right there. I mean, it tells it all. I also quote Plutarch. And I quote them because they weren't Christians. Well, of course... Polybius would have probably been a Christian. I, you know, I don't know. And we'll never know. Probably never know. Because Polybius lived 300 years before Christ. He was saying that 300 years before Christ. So we know that society was already headed that direction. So when John the Baptist came along and said, you know, Take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty, which is what Paul said. He translated, you know, basically, share. Well, in order to share in a way that makes any sense, you have to create a network of people who are sharing and caring. You see, the New World Order wants to kill care. They don't want you to care for one another. First, they do it by giving you free bread and circuses, and which is you know social welfare, food stamps, all that's that's free bread. That's your daily bread. That's you want you want food stamps. Just go down and say, "Our Father who art in Washington, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. When Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily food stamps." You know. That's what you're saying. You're not going to church to get your daily bread through faith, hope, and charity. You're going to the men who call themselves benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. Almost half the people in America get food stamps. And the the, the thing that I'm sharing with you in this staff of life, and eventually I will get I'm down to the very last of the article now, where I'm going to show you that you need to take that into consideration that this situation where there is absolutely no reserve and that 
you know, I could I could give you some of the statistics. I mean, it's just staggering. You know what you're facing. You know, uh, you know. Actually, I, I I don't think I will give you those statistics. It's <laughs> not too many of them. I'll quote here. Uh, I think this is USA Today. Uh, the stores were, uh, meaning the grain storage, the strategic grain storage, were gradually depleted until 2008 when the USDA decided to convert all of what was left into its dollar equivalent. And so, in other words, they sold your reserves. <laughs> and so the grain that once stabilized prices for farmers, bakers, and, and American consumers ended up as a number on a spreadsheet in the Department of Agriculture. <laughs> so, so uh, how's that, that going to look? Anyway, um, uh, that, no, actually, that wasn't USA Today, but uh, I, I do have articles that I quoted in USA Today that uh, say the same thing. That the strategic, uh, you know, it was depleted regularly. There was some changes in the laws in the 70s. And then uh, by 2008, there was very little left. And it's continued on in 2013. And that the, the, uh, you know, just roughly the statistics is, is, you know, there's only about 20% uh, uh, carryover uh, of grain that is produced on an annual basis. Which means that you will be starving by July, <laughs> because I mean you won't even make it to the when the asparagus comes ripe. I mean it's it's that bad. I mean you're hanging over a cliff and by a thread, and and here the same government that has done this, and and I'm not going to blame it on government. I'm blaming it on you. Because if you were actually forming a network, you could you could solve this problem. If if everybody who said they were Christian were actually Christian, actually doing what Christ said, there is still enough time and people to solve this problem. This may be your last year. That doesn't mean I'm not saying that next year this is all going to break loose. But uh, it takes a little bit of time to turn this ship around. But you're not repenting. You haven't repented yet. You haven't really changed. Oh, maybe you've stopped raping people or maybe you stopped philandering around or something. But you're still coveting your neighbor's goods. You still haven't set your neighbor free. Don't expect to be free. You're still asking the government to bind your neighbor and force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. You're still rejecting Christ in word and deed. Although, I guess in some words you're saying, Lord, Lord, because you go to church. But anyway, the, somebody asked me to talk about 501c3, and uh, so I can shift over to that. But the point is, is that uh, you know Truman, uh, Truman, Trump is talking about uh, overturning uh, the the act that LBJ put into place that uh, really did nothing. But it establishes 501c3. But it says right in the rules that churches don't even have to apply for that. And you you can't lose the status they haven't given you. So if you don't apply, they can't take away your status as a church. 
unless you're not doing anything like a church. You know, I mean, they have 14 criteria, but you don't even have to follow all 14 of those criteria, and they would still have to recognize that you're a church, but and you would still automatically be exempt. It's only when you apply that you become strictly regulated. So they're only going after the churches that are applied because they, when by application, you've made the IRS the overseer of your church to make sure that you're conforming to what they say a church should be. But if you were actually a church doing what Christ said a church should be, which you're not doing, I don't know hardly a church that does, then it's not dependent on them. Plus, you will have a spiritual armor. We'll talk about that next time, Keys of the Kingdom. That spiritual armor. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Um, so we're talking about the course of human events that has brought the country to a state where the average citizen is a savage, taking a bite out of one another through men they call benefactors, but are actually rulers of authority that take away the freedom and liberty of the individual in order to appease the appetite for benefits of the mob. That's where you come. And that, that's the symptoms. I mean, like, okay, go into a doctor's office. They're going to ask you, you know, like you're running a fever. 
you know, how you're sleeping at night. Uh, do you have pain anywhere? Well, you take a look at the patient. What's going on with the patient? They're killing their children. They're place, they're cursing their children with debt. Uh, this is the symptoms of your society. What's the disease? The disease is selfishness. You care about yourself more than you care about others. So, when I tell you that there could become a day here where everybody in the nation is starving, that we're on the brink of such a disaster on a regular basis. And it's only a matter of time before we get to the point where we are literally in that situation. You know, uh, what do you, what's your first idea? Well, I, I need to stock up. I need to get in, in, into an, an intentional community of other people that are stocking up because I need to be saved. You've already lost. You're already dead. You're dead to Christ. Because you're not following Christ. You're not following His example. You're not gathering together to save one another. To save the your children and the children of your neighbor with the same enthusiasm. It's all about you still. It's not about righteousness. So you, you set in motion by your... You know, maybe you're a really smart guy, uh, you know, maybe a lawyer or, you know, a doctor or an engineer and you're making lots of money and you can create for yourself what you think is the remedy. But you don't care about others as much as you care about yourself. You're not trying to get the word out to others that they need to start caring about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves. You're not getting the word out that you need to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. You're not forgiving your neighbor because, I mean, your neighbors have been slothful. They have been greedy for gain. You've been greedy for gain. Maybe not as much as them. But still, you 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 know, if you're trying to set up your own little salvation network, personal salvation network, you know, your buddies and you are putting up storage. Or maybe you've just been oblivious to the whole thing and you've been slothful. Whatever. You're not thinking like Christ unless you're gathering together to save others. And therefore, you're still being pulled down a spiritual path that's going to make you subject to tyrants. Now, that you, tyrant may be in, you know, in Toronto, Canada or City of London or, you know... Uh, or New York at the United Nations, or in Washington, D.C., or, or Sydney, Australia, wherever your personal tyrant is. But it could be that it's the mob that comes through and robs you. <laughs> you know, the marauding bands that come. They, they will be your tyrant. They will rule over you. They will kill you. They will rob from you. And they should be able to do that because you haven't the armor of God. You do not have the pillar of fire that protected the Israelites. You know, when the Israelites were getting through the famine, they were helping others. That's what Philos makes very clear, that they were helping other Egyptians. Why do you think the Egyptians loved them? Because they had set it up, set up their own Pharaoh emergency ministry auxiliary that was going to take care of the needs of the people when the Pharaoh failed to do so during the plagues. And they became... These 
Israelites became extremely popular because they were actually providing a real service for a society. And the government didn't like them there because it made the government look bad. And so they wanted to get rid of them. And of course, when they left, many Egyptians went along with them because they said, you know, we're better off going with these guys because the guys here, all the socialists back here in Egypt, they don't care about anything but themselves. So many Egyptians left with them. Because these are the people that learned to come together and care for one another during the time of famine. And they got through the famines fairly immune. Your churches aren't going to do that. I just gave an example. You know, I've given this story before where we, when there was a fire in Weed, California, we sent down aid. We were we were just going to send a little bit, but when people found out we were sending, pe- people added a lot and it filled up the van with aid. We could have done more if the network was actually functioning the way the early church was functioning. But what we sent actually showed up in the nick of time, was exactly what they needed, and really helped them out. What the other communities sent from the other local churches and from the Forest Service and from the other people of the community ended up way off away from where it was needed piled up in helter-skelter fashion where the pastor had them dropped in a warehouse you know 100 mile round trip away from where they were needed and they got a phone call that if you need anything come and uh, take a look in the warehouse and take what you need Of course, they didn't have any time to drive over there, so most of it just sat there. Some of it was thrown out. It was a total waste. But the preacher who said put the stuff there, he probably got his sermon together, made everybody feel good on Sunday, and everybody else felt good because they gave something. It didn't get to where it would do any good, but they all felt good, and that's what's important, you know, how you feel. Unfortunately, you know how Christ feels about you. You're a worker of iniquity. You're slothful. You should be under tribute. The problem is, is when the systems of the world collapse, you'll be under the tribute of thieves and savages who will come to your house to devour you. And they should. And you will have no spiritual protection. When you actually decide to follow the doctrines of Jesus Christ instead of these churches that have been bilking you out of fortunes to build big buildings and establish pensions and, you know, and and become, in some cases, even millionaires. When you actually decide to follow Christ instead of these brutish pastors, whether you're a 501c3 or not, Spiritual changes will start to take place in your life. But you can't do it for the reward. You have to do it because you actually love righteousness. It doesn't say seek the kingdom of God and all the benefits of the kingdom of God. It says seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. Come hell or high water. That's what you have to do. And what the early church, what that meant to the early church was they formed a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. Small congregations linked together with dedicated ministers who have really dedicated their lives towards the service of Christ through the service of his kingdom to feed his sheep, to take care of his sheep. Now, they can't do that without your contributions. 
But you get to decide what you're going to contribute and how much you're going to contribute. And that sets into motion grace. That's what gives you grace. Is the fact that you were willing to give and forgive. You you forgive all your slothful neighbors, all your selfish neighbors, and you began to operate like Christ. Christ didn't come and just talk to people who were not sinners. He came to talk to sinners, to help sinners, to heal sinners, in hope that they may change their way to the way of Christ and start caring about one another as much as they care about themselves. That's the commandment. You don't do that. You care about your church. You care about your music. You care about, you know, do did I really, did that sermon make me feel good? How's my sermon make you feel? You selfish pigs. <laughs> I have to be hard on you. I have to rebuke you. There isn't enough time left for you guys to sit around. Well, let me read the Bible some more. Let me think about this. No, you have to start acting. Like you actually care. And that you want to create that network of people that actually care. And give on a regular basis. Not give just to their congregation. So that their congregation will all like them. But they have to cast their bread upon the waters. In hopes that it might come back to them. If you just give it into your congregation. That... That's, you're not going to get much grace from that. It's not those who love those who love you. That's not where grace comes from. Grace comes from loving those that don't love you. That you don't even know. And believing that spiritually I'm setting in motion the Spirit of God. Because I come like Christ who gives away Everything. He was rich. He gave that away. He gave his life away. If you're not coming in that name and that character, grace is not going to come back to you. You think that you're saved because you say you believe in Jesus, but you don't do what Jesus said. If you were doing what Jesus said, you would have a daily ministration in your churches that took care of all the social welfare of the people of your church and congregations. And that none of them would need to depend upon Caesar for their daily bread. You're not there yet. You haven't got there yet. You're not even close to there yet. And so you are condemned by your own lack of faith. But you can change that. You can repent. You can start thinking another way. You can start coming together in another way. You can start gathering in a network of people that are also saying, at least, that they want to create a network that operates on faith, hope, and charity and that perfect law of liberty that manifests the character of Christ by taking care of one another. If you don't come with that spirit, it doesn't really matter whether you're 501c3 or not. Because you can be not 501c3 church and not a church established by Jesus Christ. The fact that you, you know, once you start down this road, yeah, there, you should start saying, well, we, you just automatically, you won't need to fill out a 1023. But you need ministers that are actually also in compliance with Jesus Christ. They're coming in the name of Jesus Christ. is in the same spirit of Jesus Christ. 
to help you help one another. That's the job of the minister. The minister is not supposed to rule over your conscience. The Holy Spirit is supposed to rule over your conscience. Now, he may often rebuke you like I do on a regular basis for your sloth, for your, for your selfishness, for your foolishness. I, I can rebuke you for that, but you have to decide whether or not you're going to follow the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to make the ministers do it. I'll point it out, well, you know, like you're, you're saying this and you're doing this and I can't recognize that as a minister. Well, I see a lot of people that, people tell me this is our minister and I will accept that. But if I don't eventually see them doing what the early church did, then I will count it as not. And I I will not recognize them. Now, I don't condemn people to hell, but I don't want to hold up somebody who's not doing what the early church did. And what the ministers of a congregation are doing is linking them Not with each other. Love should do that. Love for one another should link you in a congregation. Forgiveness should allow those lengths to grow. But what that pastor is supposed to be doing is preaching the kingdom. So he's got to link his congregation with all the other congregations of the network that is a part of the early church. Was a part and should be today. That's his job, to link them. So if he isolates himself, he's not doing what Christ said. If he isolates his congregation by not connecting with other ministers, he's not doing what Christ said. If he's not a peacemaker, he's not doing what Christ said. Now, he may be in some areas of his life doing what Christ said, but there's almost always need of repentance. Self-examination. Because you need to know the truth about yourself in order to bring light of Christ and the Holy Spirit into the homes uh, and families of those that you seek to serve. And one of the ways in which you serve them is by connecting them with all the others. Which is why we have the Burning Bush Festival. Why we have usually a festival in the spring and somewhere in the Midwest. We've had a number of people who've been a part of the network because, but says, because somebody disagreed, they pack up their toys and they go home. They go away. They don't persevere. And literally they don't forgive. Because they're going to break off their connection with the network because somebody didn't say what they wanted to hear or because somebody said something they didn't want to hear. You know, it's kind of like, that, that seems to be the pervasive thing in the world today is that you offend somebody. You say something that offends somebody. You know, you have to have your safe space. and You know, you can't say anything that might offend somebody. And like the one comedian says, you know what happens if you're offended? You're offended. That's it. That's all that happens. Nothing, nothing happens. You're just offended. You know, like, what difference does that make? You know, I mean, the old sticks and stones will break my bones. You know, but if, if I mean, where's your forgiveness? If somebody says something you didn't want to hear, or somebody says something you don't think they ought to have said, can't you forgive them and continue seeking the kingdom of God? How can you seek the kingdom of God if you're always breaking off relationships? Why do you think one of the prerequisites for a minister was that he is a husband of one wife? 
that he wasn't going around divorcing. That he was committed to his family. That his family was in order. He was taking care of his family. Because if he won't take care of his family, why do you think he's going to take care of his congregation? If he doesn't connect with other ministers of congregations, how is he seeking the kingdom? Maybe he's seeking his little kingdom, which takes us back to the survivalist who's stocking up beans and and, uh, rice up in the mountains. He's just interested in himself. He's not coming in the name of Christ. Maybe himself and his family. But this message of of going back to what we used to do in America, which is what made America great, of taking care of one another, that's where we got to go. I think I think if uh, Trump were to suddenly create the illusion of lifting the 501c3 law that LBJ put into place, you know, maybe removing it or repealing it, if he could even do that, even there's a suggestion that he's going to do that, is actually a bad thing. Because people aren't going to change now. They think, oh, well, we got that. We won that battle. We're not 501c3 churches under the IRS anymore. We can actually say anything we want politically. Well, you could have done that anyway if you had done it the way Christ said. If you if you do it the way Christ says, you wouldn't ever fill out a 1023. You wouldn't even want it. You'd look at it. You'd read the instructions right there. that says churches don't have to apply. And you would never fill it out. You know, when a local pastor, I was out of town, a local pastor, my family went down to that local church, which is a community church, which some lady has now closed up. But they, they went down there and the, the local pastor, now that I was out of town, brought in a 1023 and wanted people to fill it out. And the person who was going to do it didn't feel right about it, brought it back and said, I don't feel right about filling this out. They didn't know why, they just didn't feel right about it. And so he began to argue and everything and they began to pass the form around and my daughter read the instructions because she's an instruction reader. Must get that from me. And it says churches don't need to apply and she points it out and the guy went ballistic. And at last I heard he was making pizzas. (laughs) He wasn't a pastor anymore. But uh, the reality is is that that's never been a problem for real churches. It's only for people who want to be in the business of looking like a church. Who don't want to really come in the name of Christ, but make everybody feel like they're coming in the name of Christ. And it, the, the guys who suddenly said, oh, we don't want to be 501c3 because we want to be the free church in Christ. They're not doing what Christ said. They're just not 501c3. You know, they're, unregistered churches. But they're not necessarily doing what Christ said. Now, I will admit that some of these guys are doing a little bit of what Christ said. You know, they are helping people to somewhat, but I mean, a psychiatrist can help people somewhat. A psychologist can help people somewhat. Some of them. Some of them can make the situation worse. But, aren't we supposed to be preaching the whole gospel of Jesus Christ? We can't just preach what is convenient. And the whole gospel meant that they created a daily ministration that took care of the welfare needs of all Christians so that none of them had to go and apply to the men who called themselves benefactors but exercise authority. That's where the pastor needs to be taking you to. And if he doesn't know that, he's a brutish pastor. He's a dull, dullard pastor who's a dullard in the ways of the kingdom of God. 
and he's probably making a lot of money doing it. <laughs> because very few people can handle the truth that they have believed a lie and that they are not saved and that they are not following Christ and they are not doing the will of the Father and they are actually workers of iniquity. They don't want to know that. They don't want to hear that. And that's just the way it is. And so, we're just looking for those who want to hear it. Who want to hear the truth that will set them free. And are willing to pursue the righteousness of God. And the ways of God. And... uh, are not willing to fall prey to the brutish pastor. 501c3 or not. There, There's so many levels of this, but are you an intentional community? We've had so many shows now on intentional communities. We've had so many shows on church governance, how the early church operated. It wasn't a government of power. It was a government of service. It was a government based on faith, hope, and charity and that perfect law of liberty, which meant you could give or not give. But you get to choose who to give to and how much to give. And if you choose to be selfish in your giving, then expect the fruit of that selfishness to come back to you, magnified in the wrath of God. That's right. And destruction will suddenly be upon you. You know, the word brutish is defined as resembling or characteristic of a brute. You know, uh, the the noun brute is a savage, violent person or animal. Well, you say, well, my pastor's not violent. Is he taking benefits from men who exercise authority, who are violent, who force the contributions of the people so that he his... He will be socially secure. Then he is violent. He's just a coward. He doesn't want to steal from the neighbor because he might get beat up. But he doesn't mind sending the government there to take from him. Because see, he's part of that one purse, bite one another system that has come down to us through Cain and Nimrod and Babylon. He is a part of Babylon. And he is not doing anything to help you lead you away from the habits of eating at the expense of your neighbor. As a matter of fact, he doesn't tell you that there's anything wrong with that. Because if he did, contributions would stop coming in. I've had pastors say, well, I can't tell the people that because if I tell them that, they, they won't contribute. And I says, why are you whispering? There's nobody even near us. He has to whisper when we're out in the middle of a field when he talks about, I can't, I can't tell them the truth. Because, you know, uh, they won't, they don't want to hear the truth. So you have a congregation of liars who love the lie and not the truth? Oh, please don't raise your voice. <laughs> this is, this is crazy. You don't have any time to continue to waste your time. Now I'm not telling you not to go to these churches. I'm telling you, wake up. Hear the gospel of the kingdom. Hear the, hear the ways of Christ. Find out what the righteousness of Christ is and seek that. 
which means that you need to walk in constant forgiveness of your neighbor, of anybody, everybody, even your enemy. You have to forgive your enemy. You can't get mad at anybody because you're usurping the wrath of God. You don't want to be the tough guy that's going to protect you. You want God to be the tough guy that's going to protect you. And therefore, you have to leave judgment to God. In the New Testament, we see the word brute a number of times. You know, it's from a particular Greek word, alogos. Alogos, ah, is a negative form. Alogos is the word. That's the word for word, negative word. It actually means something that is unreasonable. So if that's true, if it means not reasonable, then logos, by its definition, is not just the word, but it's reason. And and that's why we have, you know, the, the truth is supposed to have to do with right reason. Well, it's reasonable that if it's okay for you to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, free education, free well, uh, health care, free uh, benefits, then it's okay that they force you to pay for what they want, their abortion, you know, their sex change operation, whatever. I mean, it's fair. That's reasonable. And you have chosen to go the way of the world. But Christ said, not be of the world. To be of faith, hope, and charity. So that's where we got to go. I'll tell you a little bit more about this in the New Testament when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. What's the solution? The solution is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit established uh, and sent to us by Christ. That Spirit, uh, the law of spiritual creation, uh, all of creation came about because of Spirit. Everything that is in existence is the result of a spiritual reality. That subtle spiritual reality that is the reality that brings about the world that we see around us. And the fact that there is no reserve of bread and we are facing absolute starvation and, and deprivation and, and murder and mayhem is because of the fact that spiritually we do not have the Eucharist of Christ in us. So what is the Eucharist of Christ? Well, we have links to articles on the Eucharist of Christ. But one of the th- things is if you if your church gives out a little wafer of bread for communion... Uh, and they think that's the Eucharist of Christ, it's pretty clear that that is a brutish pastor and that he isn't really following the way. So this lack of reserve or seeming lack of reserve in the world today of what we call bread is the spiritual repercussions 
of our lack of the Eucharist of Christ. Because Christ, we know, can produce bread instantly. It can be there for us. It can feed us. But we have to repent and follow His ways. Instead of following the ways of the brutish pastors, which your modern Christian is enriching on a daily basis to keep them and their family asleep and vulnerable in a time of great disaster. They are not believers in the Word, but they are believers in the Alogos, the anti-Word, the the against the reason of Christ. So, anyway, in, in the... In the Old Testament, we see this British word a few places, but and there are several words that are involved, the, the adjective and the noun, and on our page, British, we, we go in and discuss some of that. But in the New Testament, we see this, this word uh, that is translated brute um, a number of times. Um, I mean, it appears first in Acts, and it's actually talking about prisoners. But... Uh, uh the the word itself is um well uh also translated other ways you know other than brutish but also unreasonable and we see it in second peter 2:12 and we see it in jude 1:10 but uh, as uh in in peter 2:12 well let's let's go back to uh Second uh, Peter, uh, to the first verse. But there were false prophets also amongst the people, even as there shall be false teachers amongst you. Remember now, teacher, teaching, doctrine. So all these churches out there have doctrines, and you read their doctrines, and some of them have very little quotes of Jesus Christ at all. And so, if they're not quoting Jesus Christ, but they're telling you what they think the quotes mean and all this stuff, that's private interpretation. Private interpretation is not exclusive to some individual. It includes ministers in their private capacity interpreting the Bible for you. That's not the doctrines of Christ. That's the doctrines of that individual. Now, that individual might be in conformity to Christ, but he might not be. And how will you know? Well, by the fruits, you'll know them. So, does that individual, is he trying to create a daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty? Or is he sending you to benefactors who exercise authority? Well, if he's sending you to benefactors to exercise authority, the fruits of his gospel is bondage and slavery. The fruits of the real gospel of Jesus Christ who said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means to love your neighbor as yourself and to give of yourself to others in hope that it comes back to you. That That's the real gospel. If he's preaching that, then then maybe we can listen to him. If he's not preaching that, you probably should get away from him because he's a false prophet. Even if occasionally he does say something that's true. And you certainly shouldn't be supporting him. You sure, certainly shouldn't be funding him. You should be funding those people who tell you the truth about yourself and show you the ways of the truth, the ways of Christ. So why do you support them? So that they can go out and and teach other people. I'm, I'm here all alone with my staff of none <laughs> today. 
And so we just had somebody calling the church phone while I'm on the air and I didn't answer it <laughs> because I'm already talking to you. And I'm trying to tell you the ways of Christ. And I want to tell others, but I can't do that without your help. Well, actually, I could with the help of Christ alone, but Christ is not going to do it. He wants you to start doing it because when you start putting your faith in action, and when you start really coming in the name of Christ, you can be blessed. And this is what Peter goes on to say. Because he's talking about these false prophets among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, saying that you're saved even though you don't do what is right, that you're not doers of the word, but you're saved because you thought a thought. You saved yourself by your thinking. You saved yourself by eating from the tree of knowledge. That's, that's just completely ridiculous. You can't save yourself. You can be saved when you submit to the Christ and receive His Holy Spirit and awaken to the ways of righteousness and seek those ways of righteousness in real ways that actually bless one another. Then you will be blessed with the grace of God. If you don't, you will not receive the grace of God. You cannot be saved by your thinking. That's what the devil told you in the garden. That the tree of knowledge would save you. No, it won't. It's the tree of life. And the tree of life, if you're eating from that, you will be giving life to others. You will become like Christ to serve others. Verse 2, And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And the way of truth is what? The way of love, of caring for one another, not forcing one another to care for you, but voluntarily caring for others. Not just those who love you back, but anybody. You have to figure this out, and the Holy Spirit will guide you, but you can't even hear it if you do not start the walk. And and that walk begins with turning around and thinking a different way. And through covetousness, he goes on to say, shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. That's you guys. Your covetousness has created this, uh, made you merchandise of men who exercise authority one over the other. You're a surety for their debt. That's what you've done. He's talking about you guys. I'm trying to tell you to repent of your ways so that we can talk about you as those who follow the ways of Christ. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but uh, saved Noah and eight persons, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world, of the ungodly, that's you, because you're not doing righteousness, you're not taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. You're playing church. 501c3 or not, you're playing church. And I have to be hard on you because there's little time. And what's the next quote about? Sodom and Gomorrah. That's where you live. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, 
condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. That's you guys. Expect the same thing to happen to you guys. And delivered just Lot, vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous uh, man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So it's not enough to be upset by the unlawful deeds you see around you. I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm getting to be close to a very old guy. <laughs> so, But I look around at the world I saw 50 years ago. And I look around at the world today. And it's unbelievable. The unrighteousness that's around. You know, in polyester. But it's still unrighteousness. But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Actually, what that word there, government, that's normally translated dominion. You know what dominion is? That's responsibility. You, they despise personal responsibility. They love government. You know, of, of, of the men who exercise authority one over the Mostly they love their benefits. A lot of them complain about, oh, the government's taking so much and oh, we don't want to pay taxes. Oh, and they're robbing us. But they don't want to be, they don't want to take back dominion which and pure religion being responsible for one another and taking care of one another. Like I always say, I can find lots of people who want to be free, but I can't, can't, it doesn't say seek the kingdom of God and freedom. It says, seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So, finding people who are seeking righteousness and pure religion, that's hard to find. That's rare. It's more precious than gold. So, you, you stock up on your gold and you stock up on your beans and rice. You ain't got the real value. Somebody's going to come along and steal it from you anyway. And then your family's going to be dead. And then you're going to say, oh, I should have listened to Brother Gregory. And changed my ways. And come in the name of Christ. Come to save others. Not myself. If you do that. Then God can save you. He goes on to say. Presumptuous are they. Self-willed they are. Not afraid to speak evil of dignities. That's where we're seeing. Good being called evil. And evil being called good today. Whereas angels which are greater in power. And might bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. And that's a whole story in itself what that means. But these as natural brute beasts. That's you. That's what we were talking about when this this original radio program where somebody thought I said the silos were empty now. We're talking about the beast. How does the beast get the power? It gets it from all you little brute beasts. We're taking a bite out of one another, who are not, who are slothful in the ways of righteousness, who are not coming to give to others in righteousness and in charity, sharing with others. You're interested in your toys and your tools and, and enriching yourself. You're not like Christ, who was rich and gave up wealth. You're not that way yet. 
And it's time to repent. The natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. That's you, biting one another. Be careful you do not bite one another lest you be devoured. That's what he's talking about. You are designing yourself in a spiritual path where destruction is guaranteed. You speak evil of things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. That's where you're at. I'm telling you now, repent, turn around, put on the armor of God by giving of yourself, laying down your life for others, laying down some of your stuff. You don't need all your stuff. You need to learn to give it away, to share it with others in a, in, in a wise way. But you need to start being givers again of life. Because that's how you eat of the tree of life. You cannot be selfish in the kingdom. There are no selfish people in the kingdom of God. And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it a pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. And actually on you. That's what they're doing. They're eating one another. You're already in a spiritual state of cannibalism. So cannibalism will become what you receive. This is, this is the seed you're sowing. Biting one another to get your benefits. Taking from one another. Taking from the children and grandchildren because you're borrowing money to sustain your system of benefits at the expense of others. Polybius knew it. Plutarch knew it. John the Baptist knew it. Jesus Christ knew it. But the brutish pastor doesn't know it. Doesn't preach it. Yes, this will take a transition. It will take time. But these people have their eyes full of adultery. They are adulterers and fornicators with the world. Applying to the benefactors to exercise authority, yet saying they are Christian. Yet that's why Christians were persecuted is because they would not apply. But today they do. Because their brutish pastors, their dull, stupid pastors have said it's okay. That's what brutish pastor means. And that cannot cease from sin. Beguiling, unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices and cursed their children with debt. Made them a surety for debt. Born today in debt. Which have forsaken the right way which is taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the Nicolaitan. Go read our articles on Balaam and Nicolaitan. I should put a link here for that. The son of Bozer, who loved the wages, the benefits of unrighteousness. That's you guys. The benefits that come by forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. All these benefits that are provided by a government that operates on force are the covetous practices that have cursed you. You should be providing all those things through faith, hope, and charity. 
That's the government of God. That's the kingdom of God. Taking care of one another through that free will. Caring for one another. Not loving the wages of unrighteousness, but hoping for the wages of righteousness. When you start that, when you repent and turn around and start walking that walk, forgiving one another, coming together with one another, not abandoning one another. When you can do that, now you set into motion that protection of God. From the time beginning, you were rebuked about this. And he goes on to say in verse 16, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are all wells without water. Clouds are carried with the tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. The, the vulnerability of society is a product of your spiritual path. And unless your spiritual path is that path of Christ who came to lay down his life for others, give his life for others, sacrifice his life for others, then you are not coming in the name of Christ. And you will not receive the grace of Christ, the protection of Christ. Christ. And he goes on to say, for when they speak great Swelling words of vanity. That's those brutish pastors. They allure through the lusts of the flesh. Through much wantonness. Those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought into bondage. That is why you are in bondage. Because you are not following the ways of Christ. You are not a part of His holy church. Which isn't established by me, but established by the Father. Through the Son. And His kingdom comes when His will be done. And His will is that you love one another. Not force one another. And become those brute savages spoken of by Polybius 300 years before Christ which is about the time that we see the arise of the Essenes they they existed about 300 years before Christ they didn't call themselves Essenes they called themselves something else but there's always been people trying to live by faith hope and charity and the perfect law of liberty like Noah who was a preacher of righteousness the preachers down there at the church that you're paying now are they preaching righteousness or half a Jesus. Because uh, Peter goes on to say, for if after they have escaped the pollution of the world, which, you know, 150 years ago, most of us had. You know, we, my family's been in this country for over 200 years. Back in the 1600s, we first started coming over. Through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. The starvation and deprivation and famines of Rome are nothing compared to the fall of modern Babylon and Rome. Back in those days, hundreds of thousands of people died 
Tens of thousands in a city of a hundred thousand was common. But today, we're talking millions and billions of people. And all you have to do is repent and turn around. And then that grace becomes an armor. He goes on to say, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, which we used to know in this country, taking care of everybody through faith, open charity, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it is happened unto them according to the true proverb that dog is returned to his vomit. And the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. So we're looking for ministers who want to wash feet, feet of the, the, the pigs and the, the sows and the dogs who have returned to their vomit. And uh, we're looking for congregations that will support those ministers. And they're hard to find. And we need help finding them. And uh, we don't need your support. We have the support of Christ. But you need to support righteousness instead of unrighteousness. You need to promote the ways of God rather than the ways of the brutish pastor. You keep going to the church you're going to, but bring the truth in. And if the truth is not welcome, you will be cast out. And the truth is, we haven't been following the ways of Christ. We haven't been seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We have not been setting up a daily ministration. We have not been tending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. We have not been coming in the name of Christ, but in the name of a false Christ, because we have been false prophets, deluding the people into thinking that they are saved because we have a nice, soft voice. I'm, I'm not a nice, soft voice guy. I'm a nice guy. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I'm not beating you up because I like to see you hurt. I'm beating you up because I want to see you saved. I want to see you seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I want to see you repenting. I want to see you walking in forgiveness and righteousness. I want to see you persevering until the end. No more quitting because somebody didn't say something or do something the way you wanted it done. Christ was seeing guys do that all the time. And He prayed for them. Do the same. Until we meet again. Peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including 
services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.